What is up, everyone? Welcome to the Come Up series. We are Money Market Truth. My name is Mark with Uncultured Currency. This is my co-host. I'm Mo from OTB Clubhouse. Everybody, welcome, welcome. Thank you for tuning in on a Thursday night, 8 p.m. And also, happy 420 to all the MJ lovers out there. Do you know what that is, Mo? Yeah, of course I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you live in Canada. You never know. Uh, actually, that makes zero sense what I just said because I'm pretty sure yeah. it's legal all over there. Legal in just put this store. Yeah, anywhere. So how was, your, how was your past week, Mo? It was really good, man. The long weekend really did help. Um, I really needed that. And after that, we had the full week. The market's been great. And uh, OPEX weeks are usually slow, but there's some great opportunities going into this week and into next quarter, uh, next month. Sorry. So excited for that. The weather's getting better in Vancouver, but, you know, it's not nothing like Florida. So, yeah, man, it's nice and warm here. We did have like a little quick cold front, but overall, it's it's pretty good. Actually, so you know, if everyone wants to know, a couple hours ago, I got in a car accident, so I was in the hospital. Me and my wife were watching um, the local news. They're saying that Florida is having a rain drought, which is insane. I I mean, it literally just rained the other day. So, but they're saying that um, they're putting warnings out there that not to grill during the summertime anymore. Um, make sure you don't have any fires or barn fires or anything like that nearby because it could end up causing a i guess forest fire and etc so we'll see but hey everyone listen thank you for tuning in um if you guys do not recall for the past last couple episodes i did the cover call episode was the very first one and i did a cast secure puts and it was all for a reason we have a special guest today she does this for a living she's also an educator and also an author of trade speak easy that's her name of her channel but she has a children's book which i want her to talk about a little bit it's a, it's about all about candlesticks i bought it for my children i was trying to find it i don't know where they placed it because i want to show y'all it's somewhere in the house um so ladies and gentlemen please give a warm welcome to suzanne hello how are you hey hello hey, so how are you doing today suzanne i know you're, you don't even live in america so what time is it where, where you're at it's 2 a.m so Ooh, wow, I, i'm committed to this i'm committed to being with you guys right so sending yes. my love from Germany. Oh, see, everyone, please, please throw one in the chat to support her. Literally 2 a.m. and you're wow. up. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. So you do um, cover calls as well as cash secure puts. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But first, you're going to join us when we do our hot takes. So uh, you have seen our episodes before, right? Ready for this hot takes? I'm going to put my cool little mm -hmm. graphics up. Um, Mo really loves this one. I spent hours and hours on doing this. So let's roll our hot takes oh yeah distress beacon oh yeah baby ah uh, here we go again morty now here we go and here comes the hot takes with mark and mo all right get, get ready I know. I don't know. I think it's funny every single time. I did not take hours to do that, but it's just it's taking a scene from, from that cartoon. But all right. So our very first hot take is this right here. So Disney is going to war with DeSantis once again. If you guys recall, it was about a year ago, two years ago, where DeSantis ended up taking away all the benefits from um, Disney here in Florida. It's got a, somewhat of a mixed reaction. Uh, personally, um, I'm cool with it. I really think that if you're a business, especially such a large company, you should probably try to stay as neutral as possible. And I think their whole woke agenda or their decide that they chose to, to be on and the agendas and stuff that they're pushing, I feel like has somewhat affected their, their content and people who are investing into it, the parks, all, all over. But anyways, 
they essentially lost um, the battle against DeSantis. I wasn't a fan of the fact that the reason why he was doing it, because essentially he didn't like the fact that they were, you know, trying to, I guess, go against what he was trying to do here in Florida when it came to the so-called don't say gay bill. And um, they didn't like that. So therefore, he took away these privileges that they had put in place over, I think it was four decades or so when they first started building out here. So they had a great benefits. And the reason why I'm actually OK with it is because Bush Gardens doesn't get the same benefits. Um, SeaWorld doesn't. Um, Universal doesn't. So there's a lot of parks out here. None of those get those same benefits like they did. So I think it was it was really stupid for them to to go against the governor and the state that they're in, especially with all these, these perks that they were receiving from Florida and, and the fact that they were able to have their own city, essentially. So that's been taken away again. But they're going against DeSantis once again. Disney tells its lobbyists to step up the fight against Florida Governor DeSantis because he's doing some very, very conservative things out here that he's just pushing a lot of bills and agenda that I'm not 100% for because if you guys know, I, I am a fan of DeSantis. I like him. Um, did not vote for him initially, but I do like him. But he's been passing some bills. I'm, I'm starting to question some things where I just feel like he's losing the the middle um, audience, the people who are like in the middle, like myself, the independents, the libertarians. And I feel like he's really losing him right now because he's just focused on the, the right side of things. But um, as for the stock, though, now Disney did take a, a massive hit. It had good earnings last time. It went up too close. I think it was 110 or maybe 120. I forgot. And I did not exit my position at that point. I did to my friends, too, and then end up tanking again. And now I think it's a little bit below um, $100. What do you guys think? Do you think this is affecting the stock, their agenda and what they're doing here with uh, in Florida and DeSantis? Ladies first. Uh, I mean, I don't have a very like strong point of view on this. I think that just the general economy is going to affect how people are are spending. And I know that a lot of people are like, okay, post pandemic and post, um, you know, being in lockdown and everything that people are wanting to spend more money on experiences. So they're shifting, you know, any extra income. But I think the reality is, is that, you know, people are really starting to tighten their belts and doing these kinds of extra experiences is probably going to is going to affect them. Besides the fact that I think that people are just trying to cut down on any extra spending, so they're you know looking at you know what they may be registered for and then trying to cut out some of those subscriptions. Um, I mean, I have kids, and I, you know they've asked me like once or twice for Disney Plus, and then I was just I couldn't figure out how to get it onto their tablet because we have an American <laughs> account, but we live in Germany, and so you oh. can't. On Amazon, you can't, you have to have a local account and I don't mm. want to change my, like everything else. So just because of that, I was like, eh, I'm not going to do it. And then my kids never asked again. They totally forgot about it. So I think that, um, you know, I think that people are just becoming a lot more um, conservative with how they're spending their money and, and Disney's affected by that, just like everybody else is. Yeah. What about you, Mo? So someone asked if this is live. Yes, this is live. We've been live for the last <laughs> three Thursdays. Um, all right. So I was going to say, if you're asking the prices down because of this politics, it's not. Um, I think cord cutting seasons upon us as we approach closer to recession and um, government doing all, all the things I heard. There's a new bill that Biden's looking to pass. Basically, if you're financially secure, he's going to get you with other taxes. But the point being is, you know how much it costs for one trip to Disney World or Disneyland. It's expensive, man. It's crazy. Um, I think a, a middle class family cannot right at this point afford a trip to Disney World of how I think the tickets have gone up twice already. Yeah, it's, they're expensive. A family of four for one park's like I think with eating out there and buying some souvenirs, like a thousand dollars for one park. And there's like four park plus stay and Airbnb. Um, 
I think Disney's got the Disney World uh, parks, plus they've got the content. Me and you were talking about how when Netflix comes out with something, we know about it. It's marketed. But mm-hmm. when Prime's coming out or Disney, it's not marketed well. And so I mm-hmm. think um, I talked about something called stacking where a consumer doesn't pick between Disney, Netflix and Prime. What they do is they'll have all three. But cord cutting season, people will start picking. And I know, Mark, you posted a video of, you know, mm-hmm. you can do something and you don't have to uh, pay for subscription for all these uh, providers. Correct? That was yes, last- I did. Yes. On my right? channel, on Culture Currency, I definitely walk you guys through. So think about this when most people weren't thinking about doing this because, you know, money was coming in easy. Now, most people are going to start looking of ways to uh, save money. And that's going to be one of them. So if I'm picking extra shifts, I'm not working from home anymore. What's going to happen? People are going to start canceling. And even though it's like 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks, that's where Disney's going to take the hit. Not getting mm-hmm. uh, funding from these guys. That's nothing for a big company like Disney. They get uh, impacted when things happen in scale. So I think that's um, going to impact them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these I corporations have serious tax benefits and they're already structured mm-hmm. with all kinds of offshoring and rerouting their taxes. So, I mean, I know that the state taxes or whatever they're being exposed to that are changing some of those benefits will impact them, but I'm sure they have a whole host of accountants and tax attorneys that are working yeah. out ways to find other means of, you know, getting benefit, getting the similar benefits, but through a different route. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited um, to see about the earnings because I, I am really curious, especially after the Netflix, because like the one thing that I noticed on the Netflix earnings, I don't know if you guys um, listen to it, but their subscriber base didn't grow as expected. Right. So that's a little telling because not only did they, they delay the password sharing cutting, right. They were going to cut that off. They delayed that. But the fact that they had a lower tier and it didn't really add a lot of members like they were expecting. That kind of tells you a little bit. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Disney because Disney benefited initially from the subscriber base by having, I think it was like $49, $69 for a year when they first started. Then after that, after that that one year subscription service ended, I think that's when we start seeing people falling off. And recently, I, I, I'm pretty sure this was a legit art, article or not, but Bob Iger, he was saying that uh, he may have regret going into the streaming services and that maybe it was a better idea to actually just license because it's actually costing them a lot of money to produce content for Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, at least from my personal opinion, I don't know how about everyone else feels like, um, I have Disney Plus, my kids watch it, but there's not enough original good content. And I say original good content because they're recycling a lot of stuff and just doing like r- race swapping or it's uh, Marvel related content or Star Wars. And I think people are getting exhausted of it. It's like, come on, like, like can we have something fresh, something new? And I feel mm-hmm. like they're definitely dropping the ball on that. But I am excited to hear that they're going to start investing more money into the parks because the parks have taken somewhat of a hit the past couple of years. And I think they're going to build a Mario Land there. I think I was either Disney or I'm pretty sure it was Disney, not not Universal. So they're going to invest a little bit of money in there. So I'm very curious to see what's going to happen in the earnings. But just just by pure guess, Mo, do you think it's going to um, they're going to miss or or beat expectations for their their earnings? I think the expectations are low, but they'll I think they'll miss. They miss. What about you, Suzanne? Hmm. I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on how they're going to come out with their earnings. To be honest. Okay, I think they're going to miss this time around. It's my personal opinion. And I think if they miss, it actually may go back down to... Let me pull my, my chart real quick. 
Uh, oh, I don't have it. I do right here. Okay. So this is my old Disney chart because I did trade it and it did hit into my demand zone, which was between $79 and $92. And I bought a bunch of shares and then I sold it. Well, I was supposed to sell it when it reached up here. It was, it was, so it was 120. Yep. It was uh, about one. It was getting close to 120. I told all my friends to sell. I didn't. I held on for some reason and I sold for like 1% profit. So that was, that's my dumbass fault. Uh, but it's it's gone up a little bit, but I don't think I think it's going to come back down and revisit this this old demand zone, which is technically not valid anymore. Because once you go and enter the demand zone and come out of it, right, Mo, it's no longer valid, correct? Yes. So yeah, so we see what happens. All right, on to the next hot take. This one is going to be for Mo. Let's pull this up real quick. We're talking about, um, I guess the the come up series, uh, aunt, auntie Kathy Woods, right? I think that's they call her cousin auntie. Kathy. I think so, it's cousin Kathy. Yeah, yeah, cousin no. Kathy or something. So yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, well, we'll we'll see. Let's push let's push play real quick and watch this. Tesla is Kathy Woods holding in her Arc Innovation Fund, uh, her flagship fund, and Kathy Wood joins us now exclusively. Kathy, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Morgan. Happy to be here. So much to discuss with you, but I do want to start with Tesla. Uh, your reaction to those results we did get yesterday, and specifically the fact that the operating margin dropped pretty dramatically to 11.4%, certainly in focus for trading today. Uh, does this change your outlook or your thesis around Tesla? Uh, not at all. In fact, curiously, um, we want Tesla to scale its units uh, because each one of them now represents the potential for a robo-taxi and a robo-taxi fleet. Uh, now, Elon says it's possible uh, that he could launch the, that fleet this year. Uh, we think it's it's more like last year. Uh, but the robo-taxi fleet is, is really going to be, or the robo-taxi service, is going to be, um, uh, from a margin point of view, more like a SaaS business. Uh, and so we think that that is very smart to maximize units uh, because it, they have so much option value now. Yeah. I mean, but but we've been hearing about the robo taxi fleet for some time. There's a lot of regulatory barriers to all of that, and certainly technological barriers uh, involved too. So, how soon can we actually see that realized? And given the fact that you tweeted earlier today that you've got a, a new valuation assessment of Tesla coming out, how does that how does that fit into your price target for the stock going forward? This is interesting, y'all. Listen. Uh, well, uh, the price target for our stock, and I think it's just hitting now uh, for 2027, because we do have a five-year uh, investment time horizon, is uh, our expected value is roughly uh, $2,000, and that's within a range of $1,400 to $2,500, our bear and, uh, and bull case. Now, just uh, Morgan, on the regulatory side, I actually think regulations are working in Tesla's favor. Uh, for, I think, roughly three decades, the number of auto fatalities in the United States fell, uh, fell to the low 30,000 uh, range per year. All right, I'm going to cut it off here because um, she's just talking about the whole robo-taxis and what her foresight is for the robo-taxis. So um, the 2000 price target for Tesla, uh, I want to ask the audience, too, if you guys think Tesla is going to be at 2000 by 2027, she said, Please put a one in the chat. If you do not think it's going to be at 2000 or higher, put two in the chat. In the meantime, what are you guys' thoughts on this? So, Mark, um, it's crazy how ironically she talked about it on her 420 days. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, she might just say she was high. Um, but 
here is what her price targets were. So for Roku, she said $605 for Zoom, Zoom stock, the Zoom video conferencing that we use. Yeah. Her target for that is $1,500. $1,500 for Zoom. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think um, here's what I'll say. So Netflix didn't do well on earnings, right? And mm. it dropped at around $192. And not 190, sorry, 292. And investors came in, started buying it up. Tesla actually did not do bad. It was actually pretty decent for earnings. Mm -hmm. And it went from 190 to, I think today, it's trading at around 161 ish. Um, money is flowing away from Tesla. You could see the companies that it's going to. Nvidia is huge. Crypto, uh, a lot of money from regional banks left for crypto. I think it's not that Tesla can't go up. It's just what she's assuming is Tesla's the only company that's going to go up and there's no competition. Tesla right now has 17% market share worldwide, right? So it's just saying that companies like Porsche, BMW, Mercedes, they're just going to chill. And someone like my dad, who's had three BMWs in the last 15 years, is now going to automatically switch to Tesla. He won't. He's so used to BMWs, he's going to keep going. And that's what's going to happen with people. They are loyal to a certain brand. Um, I think even if Tesla keeps the market share they are at, um, it doesn't go all the way from 150 right now to 2005 years. That's like the whole robo taxi. Uh, taxi. We'll talk about that after once we get the Cybertruck, which has been delayed for I think three years now. I put oh, in three years, three I, years from the date of delivery. So my uh, I paid the deposit for the Cybertruck I think five years ago. It was supposed to arrive 2022, I believe. So we're mm -hmm. about, uh, I don't think I, I haven't, I haven't received an email. So probably another seven, eight years by that time, it might be a 2000 <laughs> if US dollar uses, loses value and then Indian currencies or China currency becomes like the main currency. But I think the only thing we have to think without arguing and fighting about Tesla is, do you think Kathy has any bias in giving these price targets, what are Kathy's three biggest position? Roku, Zoom, Tesla. and Tesla. Tesla, yeah. That's it. That's all you need to know. That's like Michael Saylor telling you that Bitcoin is going to 100K. No way in hell he's going to say it's going to 5,000 because he's got the biggest bag. Um, that's all it is. It's not saying Tesla is a bad company, but you do this to get into news. And there's, hence why we're talking about it. If she gave it a target of 300, 450, we wouldn't be talking about it today. We're like, okay, five years, everything's going to go up. Giving it a 2000 makes it a topic of discussion. Now, Mark, you've been doing this since COVID and everyone that's here come up probably been doing then or before that, but think about people that don't watch stocks. They know mm -hmm. about Kathy this, and it'll be in the front page on Instagram or newspaper. Oh, Kathy gave a target of 2000. It's the hype. That's what she's trying to do. And it's sort of what happened with GME AMC got a lot of options trader into the game. That's what she's doing. And I think she's making that wow impact, which is why we're talking about it today. So it's working, but it kind of makes her look not credible. Yeah. That's the problem right there is that it's, it's, it's totally disingenuous actually. Um, I mean, the, the price target, even for 2027, just it assumes that there's that there are going to be some kind of massive tax credits that are going to provide specialized liquidity to that kind of industry. However, the massive amount of factories that Tesla has will be in Mexico and in China. They're here in Germany. I mean, it's the benefit to to Tesla, even if the U.S. government were to be able to create some kind of specialized subsidy for that particular industry, even if they do it from the route of 
the uh, what was it the inflation bill because of you know EV space and all this. Um, it is it's it's not going to be specific enough to Tesla in order to give them that ability to like you know to suddenly more like ten times their 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 current valuations. Besides the fact that if we consider that they're competing against a lot of other other um, companies in the EV space, like thinking about specifically in China, um, that's a huge, that's a, you know, that's a large number of people that where if they're going to have to compete really to get, you know, effective space in China, they're going to have to continue to drop those prices because they're not going to be able to compete even at this $50,000 mark. I mean, you can get a, um, you can get a hybrid EV BMW brand new, for almost fifty thousand, um, the the Q three, and then you look at what you can get for Tesla, and it's you know you just you can't compare. I think that in Germany, if people are going to go for that style of car at that price level, then they're going to want to get something that is at that luxury level, and you're and then you're competing against things like Audi. And I don't know that Tesla will be able to take out Audi's, you know, the true German companies that are providing true industry into, you know, into Germany. I don't think that I don't know how they're going to compete. I, they obviously are competing, but to get to a share evaluation of 2000, where is, you know, the, the Daimler group? Where are they going to be at, you know, with Mercedes and all those companies? Where are they going to be at in comparison to to Tesla, I, I don't. I I think it's completely disingenuous. And like Mo said, it's just to get more eyes on Arc. But I I think anybody that has just a bit of sense should start to to think. Okay, you just can't trust anything this lady says because it just doesn't make any economic sense, especially in the current market that we're in, going into a potential recession and just tightening liquidity. I mean, Tesla has worked really well because. Money has been cheap. Money isn't going to be cheap anymore. So uh, their entire business model is going to have to shift, which we're seeing because they've continued to, you know, decrease the the cost of their vehicles. Yeah, that their margins. Now I'm I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Now everyone already knows how I feel about Tesla. So I mean I've I've spoken about Tesla many times. My thesis hasn't changed on Tesla, but um the, I will I will mention the stuff that I see me in chat where they're saying um we're wrong because Tesla is more than a car company. And I, that's like the biggest argument I usually always hear is that, you know, Tesla is more than a car company. And I agree. The goal is for it to be more than a car company. But I will reiterate what I said in the past. Until I see a massive change in the, the sector where they're making most of their money, then I will look at it differently. But I think the reason why she's saying 2000, because she's relying on the moat of full self-driving, which, by the way, is, uh, did he say it was going to be this year, right? Full self-driving yeah. is coming this year. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. This is my issue with, with Elon. He says a lot of stuff and doesn't deliver. He says a lot. And I feel like a lot of people ignore that. Roaster, Cybertruck, full self-driving, um, profit margins, uh, returns, year-over-year year returns. It, it's decreasing. He hasn't been hitting a lot of these milestones that he's saying he was going to. He did in 2020 and he did in 2021. But there's a lot of stuff that he has said that hasn't been delivered or come to fruition yet. The full self-driving, I definitely don't think is going to happen this year. Um, I know the government is, is not going to happen. Um, now, with that being said, though, um, I think Kathy's relying on the fact that it's going to the future of Tesla is supposed to be more than just a car company. And again, like the ARC fund itself, right? It's innovation. It's growth stocks. It's speculation. 
everything is speculation. I, I understand why she has Tesla as the number one. Or is it still the number one or is it number two? Except I thought Roku at one point was number one, right? Yeah, I think it's the top three. Yeah, so it's regardless. Understand why that one's in the top three. That to me makes sense. Zoom and Roku does not. I, I, I do not understand why that's in the top three at all and that's the only reason sometimes why i'll give her a side eye but i, I would love to look she's she's a friend of this channel i know um she came on here she did a, a, a huge solid especially uh i think she came on while while we were still in the bull market so a lot of people treated her like a genius for many years and now you know she's having a bad run for the past two years and everyone's crapping on her um but i think it's just it makes it hard when you make statements like that then it's going to be at two thousand, which means the market cap would what the market cap was at a trillion dollars when it was at almost three hundred dollars wasn't it so it would have to be multiple trillions for it to to have that price target so we'll see what happens um moving forward but i mean tesla are we still mo are we still thinking 100 and then 65 65 and yeah like just to clarify i don't think tesla's a bad company we're not arguing about tesla we're talking about kathy specifically so just so you know, we're not saying Tesla's a car company. Tesla at one point made more money buying crypto than yeah, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, they ever made on selling cars. That's not the point. The point is we're in a market where the smart people, the funds, they're all saying that we might not, let's say there might be no extreme, but there's a chance that we might just consolidate for the next three years mm-hmm. and just absorb what we've seen in the last 15 years of just a crazy bull market in that period she's coming in and saying tesla's gonna go from current price at 160 all the way to 2000 her bearish is 1500 i believe bullish is 2500 and means about 2000 that's what we're talking about so mm-hmm. um there's a purpose to why she's saying that and it'd be better if people think what's in for her for saying stuff like that and there's a bias there that's all i'm trying to point out that's it yeah and i would like to say this when, when people always bring up their earnings calls from like tesla it was like what well, elon said this i mean of course he's the ceo of the company he owns a company what's he supposed to say hey guys um full self-driving is not going to happen to possibly 10 years until we get regulation like the guy's going to speak positive about his company so you can't always like when the ceo and the owners of these companies are talking on the on the earnings call just understand like they have a severe bias they're running this company they can't be negative about it you know I mean, unless it's like the numbers are really bad you you have to be honest there's, there's no hiding anything so um but yeah so we'll see all right on to the next and last hot topic we're gonna hand it over to suzanne but this one is on suzanne's hot topic so uh vladimir putin is preparing to attack uk suzanne you got some um information on that yeah so i mean i think that the i think that the phraseology is wildly exciting. Um, I don't know that this is how we should be visualizing it. I think that the reality is, is that, you know, up in that area close to the Baltic Sea near the, and then, you know, over to the North Sea, that area tends to be frozen over during the winter months. And now that area is, um, you know, the, the water has unfrozen and ships can continue to pass. That area does have some, some bordering to Russia where they have ships. Um, There have been some kind of, there's been activity over the last two or three years in that area because it is close to the Faroe Islands and close to some Norwegian islands that have specifically these, um, you know, this like land area for um, connecting to the satellites. And so there was a lot of undersea or underwater cables and um, that had been that had been cut in 2022 and in 2021. And at the time that information was coming out about it, it was unclear 
um, what it what what they were or why they had been cut or why they were there. And the speculation was that they were used by Russia to be able to spy on submarine activity. And so connecting all of those events together, the idea is that this is not just, um, you know, just a normal Russian ship, but that it's actually being used to spy on the other countries from the North Sea. Um, if that, if it is that Russia is trying to attack, I think that I think that that is, you know, I think that that's there's not enough evidence from what is happening right now for us to start extrapolating though that kind of information. But I think that, you know, this kind of fear mongering, it's the same thing that it draws a lot of attention. And so then people get nervous and it builds up a lot of activity and conversation. And, um, you know, it draws back focus on what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia situation, how that affects NATO. And of course, then it builds up this idea, this support that if we're going to be um, the NATO allies are going to be, you know, sending more support, more um, weapons, you know, bolstering the Ukrainian soldiers, um, that something like this encourages the conversation to get more, you know, put more support behind Ukraine. And the UK was actually, they were, they came out a couple of, I'm not sure if it was a couple of days or a couple of weeks ago where they weren't going to send um, jets to the Ukraine to support that effort that they decided not to do that. And so these kinds of articles, I think that it indirectly tries to triangulate, put pressure on countries like the UK or other European countries that maybe haven't been as um, dynamic in their support for the Ukraine to kind of, you know, ramp up their, their um, you know, defense funding or other forms of support for Ukraine in this um, in this standoff since it has been going on for more than a year. And that wasn't Russia's intent. When Russia invaded Ukraine, the, the idea was that it would just last some months. And of course, Ukraine has been bolstered enough to be able to keep the, the mm -hmm. fight going. Um, so neither side is is really, you know, really had the intent of this lasting more than a year. We've now just passed the one year anniversary. But I think that this is just to put pressure on NATO allies to increase their support more than this is actually that it could be that Russia is spying. Everybody is spying on each other. But how um, aggressive that act is, that's really the question. I don't think that this article provided any support of that reality. But so so in short, like my cool 11 year old son usually says, it's cap. Yep. Yeah. Mo, what's your thoughts? I mean, I can't say that for sure, but that's that's what I'm gathering from, from yeah. the, the pieces of information. Mo? There's so yeah. much stuff that happens when we're day trading. I saw this, saw a bunch of red candles, thought algos were selling it. If there's any truth to it, there would be more info on it. Like you'd see like red bells go, like you'd see so much info. But this one article uh, came out and nothing after that, no follow through. So I don't think it's true. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you on Suzanne because uh, if if anyone's been following the Pentagon leaks, I should tell you everything. Honestly, if, if anyone like we essentially the Pentagon leaks, we spy on our allies, our allies spy on us. We're spying on Ukraine, and what the documents really revealed is what I think the average person was fully aware of. And I think I mean I talked about this multiple times on this channel. I didn't specifically say that we're supporting the war. It's a proxy war. That's why I kept saying it's a proxy war. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's officially out there in the Pentagon leaks. We are the only reason why Ukraine is still standing right now is because the United States has been supporting Ukraine, essentially, and they don't think it's going to last 
uh, it's not going to end anytime soon. That's what I mean. They don't think it's going to end in 2023. And also, I think it revealed that we were also spying on Zelensky because we don't trust him. So it's a lot of stuff. This like this government stuff is crazy. Then you're seeing what's happening with China and the, the petrodollar and everything else. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of fear mongering right now saying that we're going to um, mm-hmm. our, our debt levels are getting too high and that we're going <laughs> to potentially go bankrupt. You guys been hearing about that as well? It's so much fear mongering and it doesn't half the time. It doesn't make any sense. If you know anything about economics, like people really don't understand how the system works, sadly. Um, But, you know, but it does, it it makes people feel afraid and then they go in and then, you know, they take rash decisions in their investment portfolios or retirement portfolios, long-term portfolios. And it's to the benefit of somebody, not the person who's just, you know, um, capitulating at a very, strange time of consolidation in the market Mm -hmm. and um what's really interesting about this whole situation here um you suzanne are actually a lot closer to ukraine than the united states because you're in germany where i'm from and i know i talk to my family at least like once a week or so um what's the sentiment out there you know i think that at this point people are just starting to get kind of exhausted because you know you know, like inflation is up, inflation is going down, and now inflation is back up. And I think that people just are really focused on their day to day lives that they don't see how this, um, how this directly impacts them. And that's, it's a bit strange, because we have such a large Russian community, especially in our area, not necessarily all from Russia, but Russian speaking people from all over the, you know, the former Soviet countries. So, you know, we have a strong presence of people that have family in Ukraine or in Russia in the areas where there is, um, you know, the, the aggression is taking place. And so, you know, initially there was, you know, a very strong stance of solidarity and we had a lot of, you know, refugees coming into the country. And so there was a lot of work to provide for them. But I think at this point, people are, people are really tired, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, in the winter months, you know, you, people are trying to, are using coal and wood and going mm-hmm. out to find wood for heating. And, you know, suddenly it was like people, people realized that their, their lives had taken a very significant step backwards and just their, the finances, you know, you know, Germans don't, the average salary in Germany is like, I think it's somewhere around 3000 euros a month. And so when you consider, you know, if suddenly you have an inflation, your your energy bill triples, like my energy yes. bill tripled, that's mm-hmm. that ends up if if I was in the the average, that would suddenly be like a four, you know, a quarter of my paycheck is just for heating. And then you think of all the other aspects of cost inflation. I think that people are just you can see people are tired, people are taking on second and third jobs just to be able to cope. And the thing in Germany is that the tax situation doesn't allow you to work two jobs. So in America, people will feel the pressure and then they'll be like, you know what, for like a few months or a year, I'm, I'll just get a second job. But in Germany, you really can't do that because the minute that you have two jobs, you are automatically put into the highest tax class. Um, and it doesn't matter, like, you know, the, the threshold to get into that highest tax class is actually quite low. And I think for a lot of families, they were kind of in that middle where they're they're in the third tax class. And if they were just to get like work a few more hours or get overtime pay, it would just bump them up into that higher tax bracket that would actually just wipe out. They would end up with less money per month 
than what they had when they were working less hours. So then people start to, you know, start to feel you feel the pressure and you don't feel like you have a lot of options. And that's what you're seeing, that people are just a little bit more um, nervous about every penny that they're spending. Gotcha. Thank you. Mo, you got anything you want to add? I think we're good. Cool. All right. Y'all, that was it for the hot takes. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't done so yet, please make sure you subscribe, okay? And click that thumbs up button. All right. Seriously, I really appreciate it. If you're brand new to the Come Up series, thank you for joining. And if you're here because of Money Market Truth, thank you. We really do appreciate it. Um, we're trying to, you know, grow our channel. So just take a moment, please, and smash that like button and subscribe if you haven't done so yet. So today we are going to cover, um, we cover cash secure points, like I said before, as well as cover calls. Um, Suzanne does this. She, You're an educator. Please actually tell the audience, first and foremost, who you are, what you do, and um, kind of kind of give people an intro if they don't know who you are. Yeah. So my name is Suzanne Ukawa, and I have been trading since you know forever. Really, my dad introduced me to trading um, in 1999, and so you know for more than 20 years that has been just you know part of my life. But that was really more like investing, not so much active trading. And in 2020, the beginning of 2020, my husband was in a car accident while I was on maternity leave. So I was not working and my husband um, sadly passed away in this car accident. And so I didn't really know what to do because I had a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And so I don't know how exactly it came about, but one of my colleagues was like, you've been trading for such a long time. Why don't you try and, and scale that since you've been doing that? And so that's when I really moved into, into options. And at the time, because we were in like this huge bull market, everyone was trading long calls, long calls, long calls. So there were a lot of, there was a lot of education around how to go long, but there wasn't a lot of, a lot of education focused specifically on how to trade volatility and how to trade acceleration or gamma. And so because I actually learned a lot of my technical analysis from the crypto space, there's a lot of volatility in that space, which is generally. And so the way that you think about trading is entirely different when you're coming from crypto and then moving into equities that move a lot more slowly. So because of that, I really never got into the, you know, into this, the, the feeling of um, trading just long calls and long puts. I was much more into structured trades. And part of that's because you know, when you have a baby, you can't be sitting like in at the computer and, you know, you can have like a perfect thesis of what's going to happen and the trade, the move happens, but you're not, you're not there to get out of the trade or maybe you have a run up, but it doesn't tap you out. And now price is giving you back all of the gains and you have a bit of a loss for no reason. And so, you know, I just was like, I don't want to be under this pressure that if suddenly I have to go change a diaper, now all of a sudden, like <laughs> my my um, gains have turned into a loss or I've just given everything back. So that's when I started really focusing more on structured trades. So I focus a lot on trading butterflies. Um, and so through the through 2020 and 2021, and even in 2022, the substantive amount of like money that I made in the market was really trading um, in the money credit spreads, which most people don't trade, but that's how I trade them. And then short butterflies. And now because of the fact that the market has shifted and we're in this consolidation area, I use gamma to give me like very specific areas of interest. And then I try to either 
um, I set up long butterflies to pin price. And that's now how I may generate most of my income. And then I usually partner those with other structured trades. So I focus a lot on butterflies and that's what I teach people. Cause I think it's, it's the best way to have a lower risk um, entry, but you have the, if you um, learn how to trade the Greeks, then you can really set up very strong trades where the end result can be um, quite fruitful, but without having to sit on a potential wide loss for no reason. Got you. So uh, for the butterflies, right, just in case the audience uh, isn't aware, it's multiple different legs, mm -hmm. right? And you're also still collecting premium, correct? Yeah. Well, okay. it depends. So you can be long. So because you are long and short on all of your trades, that the structuring will depend on what side of the, you know, if you're on the call or the put side and then what directionality you're looking for. So you can trade, there are butterflies that are neutral trades. So you actually don't want the market to do anything. And that's how you collect your premium or you are capturing a move. And, but because you are both long and short, the cost of entry is low, but once the price moves into your profitability area, then you get a, you know, you get this uh, max, this like positive um, increase. So your risk is one, but your potential reward is 10. And then that's how you can structure them. So depending on like what kind of butterfly you do, you can either select a non-directional trade or a strong directional trade. So with all of this whiplashing where we're moving, you know, on the SPX, you're going from like 41.30 to 41.50. And, mm -hmm. and some people don't like the slow movement because sometimes you can get chopped up in that, but you can structure like a long butterfly at each of those ledges. And it's really cheap to get in. So it's easy to scale. But once price reaches that center point, then you end up with like a five to a five time return on your on your investment. So it's really interesting. So you have something to show us, right? You got like a little presentation because yeah. I'm um, I'm not familiar with butterflies. So I'll I just been doing cover calls, cash secure puts as well as iron condors. Um, I, I haven't experienced working with butterflies yet. I'm slowly going through the process of mastering the various different ways to trade options, especially on the other side as collecting premiums, being a seller. I like being a seller. I know um, I've said this before multiple other times. If you follow me on Instagram, I post some of my like wins or whatever. And recently I've been putting some of my calls out there. So um, definitely stay tuned on my YouTube page as well as my Instagram, shameless plug. But I, um, I'm okay with the small wins, which is a compound effect because I'm minimizing my risk significantly. Now, um, I don't know if you read this, um, Mo or Suzanne, but and I may have mentioned it here before, when I was looking up statistics on just being someone who, you know, masters the skill because like Mo is in the 5%, right? They say 95% of people fail being day traders, right? Mo is in 5% and he does calls and puts. He's really good at it, right? Make calls and puts in, in whatever directions. And uh, they said that if you end up being a seller collecting premiums, you actually have a 75 chance, I mean, 75 percentage uh, chance of being profitable and succeeding in that space versus um, only 5% on the other side, if that makes sense. I always get my numbers kind of messed up. And I confuse people when I start talking about math because I'm confused when it comes to math. I suck at it. I need a calculator. But uh, um, have, you, have, yeah, have you heard that? Am I, do you, since you've been doing this for such a long time, am I relatively accurate on that statement from Investopedia that I stole and put on here to try to act like I'm smart? Well, I think that, you know, 
So there is a chart you can actually look. There's an index. It's called the PUT index, and it's just P-U-T. And it is actually the number of contracts that expire out the money. So nothing happened with them. They just, yeah, they just expire out the money. And you will see that it's 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 quite bullish. And so even, so basically what it's telling you is that for a lot of people that like to trade long, um, especially if it's long puts, and then the opposite side of the long put is the short put, that those short puts more often than not just expire worthless. So, and it, and so it just gives you that bullish feeling that, okay, more often than not, even when the market is not moving, that actually that lack of movement benefits oftentimes benefits the the seller to mm -hmm. the long because the long requires multiple pieces of the options greek to greeks to be moving in a direction yeah and if you don't if you don't get that like price is moving but it was too slow too much theta has decayed or you you bought it when volatility was really high and now volatility has come down and price has moved but it hasn't moved enough to make up for that. So people don't realize that those options Greeks are all kind of, you know, they're like gears. So some of them can be working against you, even when the price looks like it's moving for you. But price is actually only one of the first derivatives of the options Greeks. So all the other pieces can be moving against you and cause you to end up not really capitalizing on, on a real gain, unless you have a lot of patience. I think that you you have to be a really patient um, investor to get to really get in at the right entry. And I think that's something that Mo shows like on his Instagram. You can see that he gets in when the, the value of the contract is quite depressed. And so he ends up being able to take advantage of not just like the price action, but also the change in the, the other options Greeks in his favor. So that's how he's able to capture those gains. But it means that your entry has to be really spot on. Yeah. Look, she, she pays attention to you, Mo. See? Told you. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Do your presentation. Uh, pull it up. So people, because I'm, I'm a visual person. I, I like visuals. Um, that's why I like to always do my, I guess, my little lessons visually. So go ahead. Um, pull it up. Let me know if you have any hard time pulling it up or anything. I could try to help you with it. But if you uh, share your screen. Everyone, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, we got a good number, I think, personally. Thank you. And make sure you guys subscribe and click that like button. All right, boom. Let's pull this up. All, All right. right. So we're only going to talk about, um, well, today we're going to focus on credit spreads. So um, not debit spreads, since we want to talk about collecting, um, collecting credit. And so just, we didn't talk about the disclaimer, but so just, you know, trade responsibly, past performance, whether actual or indicated by historical tests of strategies is no guarantee of future performance or success. There is a possibility that you may sustain a loss equal to or greater than your entire investment, regardless of which asset class you trade. So please do your due diligence and options trading is not suitable for all investors. So please, um, yeah, do your work. So I know that you guys covered short calls and short puts. And one of the things before I talk, like before I teach any time about selling options the thing that i like to tell people is do like start consolidating the data you know pick a chart that you like or pick an underlying that you like to trade trade in and out and then find a system that works for you so for instance with selling calls or selling puts one of the things that so i have for all the underlyings that i like to trade 
I have a chart that looks similar to this and, but it actually has a lot more data on it. I just tried to consolidate it just to give you an example. And so week in and week out, I'm like figuring out, you know, where was the high, where was the low, where did I um, chart a support and a resistance? I also actually put a, um, the, I include the deltas and I include some of the, the, um, what is called the two Sigma move. So like the two standard deviation move, which for those who use Bollinger bands, that would actually be the top and the bottom of your Bollinger band. I like to compare the data. And so week in and week out, I can see if the, the price actually stayed within, within my range. And if I would have sold both a, a call and sold both a put, would I have been able to let both of those expire and would they have both expired out the money? Now, I don't recommend that to people that you like leave things till the very end. I always tell people have a profit trigger. So know if that profit trigger is a dollar amount or your profit trigger is a um, is a percentage on the, the credit that you collected. But I like to keep the data of knowing if price stays within my range. And then because I have a chart like this on a bunch of different underlyings, it gives me the ratio of how often um, price basically expires between my support and resistance. So something like Microsoft has, um, you know, hit 78%. So 78% of the time I could have sold both a short call and a short put behind the support and resistance that I marked out and they would have expired worthless. But um, so that gives me that gives me a lot of conviction that even as price is doing whatever it may do, that in its influx at some point during the week, I will be able to hit my profit trigger actually on both sides of the trade. So I don't have to be directionally perfect. And even in the event, if some funny news were to come out, that price usually comes back into my range. So I just picked Microsoft as our example because of the fact that Microsoft does have a very um, strong, consistent move between support and resistance lines. And just like when you are thinking about selling a call or selling a put, the, the, the core thing that you really want to figure out is what is the directionality of the underlying? And you can use whatever like technique, technical analysis or charting that you use, whether that's support and resistance, whether that's structure to structure, supply and demand zones, whether you use gamma ledges, whatever it is, as long as you have like a system of determining what your directionality is and you are consistent in utilizing it. So um, when we're going to talk, so today we're going to talk about credit spreads and actually the credit spread is similar to the short call and the short put except for the fact that it has both a short leg and a long leg so if you were to sell to open a credit spread because you you are bearish just like with a short call but then you would have a long call that is further behind it i will give examples so you don't have to like memorize that but that's basically the idea and if you are bullish just like you would have that short put below the short put you would also have a long put and it basically it gives you a defined risk that's that's essentially what you're doing so that you can if for some reason your cash your account doesn't have enough margin and you can't only sell um covered calls or even you know just straight short calls or 
short puts, then by selling the credit spread, you're able to define your risk and then you don't require as much buying power or um, margin in order to enter those positions. So just for our example today, I'm going to use the average, the weekly average true range. And if I was looking out a week in advance and I'm like, okay, I want to sell a, um, a short call or and or a short put, um, you can actually sell both. You can sell one or the other if you have a very strong directional bias. Then I'm just going to use for our example, the, the average true range for the week, which for Microsoft is $15 at the moment. So I'm looking at the price and I could determine that, okay, decide that I would sell the, the call or I would sell the put based on that, that range. And so what I would actually structure. So let's say for instance, you use in your, in your thesis, you're like, you're looking at your chart and you're like, okay, we're already like grinding up against this kind of resistance area. So I think we're at least going to get a pullback for those who maybe like ICT, you might see that really strong bullish candle and say, okay, there's, there's a fair value gap below and I, it's going to come back and at least retest that gap. You know, whatever your thesis is that you can, you know, you can utilize that. So I went to the option chain and I found, I used the average true range, which is at $15. And then I went to see if I sold a call for next week, what would I get? And the credit that I could get would be $1.97, so almost $2. And it is positioned at the 20 delta. And then, and to me, that's important because I like every week in and week out when I'm selling, I like to know what was the delta of the position that I chose. Because some people, they like delta, they like to use that as their standard. So they always sell at the 20 delta. Some people like to sell at a higher delta, and that's part of their their thesis. So then, you know, you would know week in and week out what, you know, what you were doing so that you can stay consistent. That's like really the most important thing when you're a seller is developing a thesis and then being consistent with it. So on the option chain, I looked at the short call because of the fact that I'm in my thesis. I said, I'm bearish on Microsoft. This is not financial advice. I'm just setting up the idea so we can all think through it together. So I'm selling the short call at the 300 and then I'm buying to open um, $10 above the price at the 310, a long call. And that is worth almost 60 cents. So I'm selling to open the $1 for $1.97, but then at the same time, I'm paying 60 cents. So actually the credit that I'm receiving for the spread is like one is about one dollar and six and thirty cents, and so um, so that's how much credit I would take in if I were to leave it to expire worthless. Now let's say that you have a completely different thesis, and you're like, Suzanne, look, I'm printing like higher higher lows and higher highs, and we're in an uptrend, and I just think that yes, we're consolidating, but actually we are going to push past this resistance. We're going to close that gap that was like back in March. And we are going to at least test to go back above that 310. So I don't want to sell um, anything short on the call side. I want to sell on the put side. There you go. You can do that. So then I again use the average true range 
And this time the, the, the 270, which was $15 below the, the current price was actually only at a 14 Delta. So that tells me that when I'm selling on the put side that I'm actually selling, I, sh I should expect to get less credit because I'm selling further away um, from the current price based on the deltas. And the delta is like the, the statistical chance that price is going to, to reach you or breach you. And so I have a 14% chance that price is going to come down to me and then touch that, touch that short put. So when I looked at the, in the option chain, I could sell to open the short put and I would get 129 and then I would buy the long put 10 points below it. And that was worth 49 cents. So for that spread, I would only be able to get about, um, about 80 cents. So that's a, that's actually a significant difference that I am, you know, getting by putting on the put or by uh, compared to the short call. And so that's that also should be in your thesis because oftentimes certain underlines will consistently be less expensive on well will be lower value on one side of the chain than the other and oftentimes it's because the broker already knows that the the less the chance of price coming down is less likely to happen so they're not going to pay you as much for taking that risk because from their point of view as the broker they're they're actually taking on um they're you're not actually selling any risk because you are at an area where they're not expecting price to go and so they're not going to pay you as much for being in that position now one of the things is that when you are short a call if and you don't have any shares and if price were to just like zoom past you like some amazing news comes out and suddenly microsoft was at 320 you would just be taking an exponential loss on the underlying. And so that that short call is like you are promising that you are willing to sell 100 shares at that particular strike. And so if price just zooms past you, you can end up cap capitalizing or realizing um, quite a significant, uh, quite a significant loss. So that's why people like to have that long position behind it because it kind of caps your potential, your, your max risk. Because what you're actually on the call side, what you're promising is, okay, I promise to sell 100 shares at the 300, but I have the right to buy 300 shares at 310. So the distance is that $10 width and the 100 shares. And so that's your capped max loss if price were to go all the way through you and you didn't manage the position which i never recommend for people to do you should manage the you should manage the position and that's like in a more detailed trade management setup that you should take now there are people that like to sell um uneven spreads so you'll often see people talk about ratio spreads or back ratio spreads and that would be where you might have one short call and two long calls or two short calls and one long call. Um, that's like a more advanced strategy. And then you do need to know how to triangulate what the Greeks are doing. But the, the normal basic credit spread is uniform number. So if you have one, one short call, you have one long call or one short put and one long put. 
and you have the same expiration. So you're not creating a diagonal spread. So yep, we already talked about max loss. And uh, one of the other things is that I don't want to get too deep into the Greeks, but oftentimes when people first start getting used to selling um, credit spreads, what they'll do is they'll just go with the, the spread width that is given to them by the by the broker. And so, and that's usually the a five point spread. Um, but the problem when you do a five point spread is that all of the Greeks are, are so close together because you're literally like one strike and then the very next main strike, um, you're just back to back that all the Greeks are moving in tandem so, so quickly that oftentimes it's very difficult to, to hit your profit trigger. So when you're first getting used to selling credit spreads, like you've never done it before. So, you know, you just want to, you're trying to get experience, of course, paper trade and yeah, paper trade, paper trade, paper trade till you're really used to like selling to open, buying to close. You figured out how to do your risk mitigation um, and trade management. But once you're kind of past that stage, the first setups you might want to have are um, credit spreads where you're at like one selling at one strike and then buying at the strike right behind it. However, when you get a bit more, um, you get a bit more experience. I always recommend that or that people consider widening the spread. That way, the Greeks on your short call are actually decaying faster than the sorry that the the Greeks are decaying faster on that long position than the short position so that you are actually able to get out of the trade faster and you will hit your profit target faster if the if the legs are not like just on top of each other because the greeks then are just like hunting each other every time the price makes um you know makes any kind of move towards your spread or away from your spread so one of the, so there are two ways that you can trade credit spreads right either like let's say for instance you have a very strong um, you're really good at charting. And so you are able that you feel like, okay, my, my edge as a trader is that I'm really good at charting and I'm really good at capturing uh, momentum moves directionally, whether that's getting a strong bullish move or getting a strong bearish move. So when you have that kind of movement in the price, then the credit spread decays in value because of the way that the deltas are changing. So if you look at the, I'm not sure if I can, if it will let me share the, can you see the, can you see my TOS mark or is it still showing the other screen? No, I don't see it. I, I just see the profitability. Um, okay. Page. I didn't think it would let me show it. So as you're looking at, on your, um, as you're looking on the trade tab, what you'll notice is that, okay, if, if you're at the money strike, you're at the money strike is usually around a 50 Delta. So let's say, for instance, that you you're selling a call at above the price at the 20 delta and then suddenly price makes like a two, three dollar drop. You will see the delta on your position change very rapidly. So if you are at the, the 20 delta, you might suddenly be at like a five delta. And because of that change in the deltas, that's what is decaying the value of that spread. And so you, when you catch that drop away, or if you're on the put side, you catch a bullish move, it's the change in the delta that is um, that change that is giving you the, the profit. So the value of that short position 
starts to decrease because the deltas are changing. Now, there's a lot of people that like to sell credit spreads because price actually isn't doing anything. Well, so then you might ask, okay, well, if price isn't doing anything, then where is the decay? So like, why does this position get any cheaper if price actually isn't moving away from me? And then that is actually happening for two reasons. When price remains flat, volatility tends to compress. So whatever you sold, your the broker would have seen what was the volatility at that moment, both the volatility in the market and the volatility inside the option chain on that specific underlying. And so when you are when you sell it, if price doesn't do anything, if price just remains flat, then the natural progression of volatility is to drop. And when that volatility drops, the value of the position also decays. So that is actually what you end up capturing when the price remains flat. Now, if you stay in the position, let's say that you sold a weekly contract and you had five days on the position, then if you had waited one or two or three days, you would also see theta or time come out of that, um, the value of that contract. And so you had a, would have also achieved your profit trigger just by the time decay. So you really have to know before you're selling, whether you're selling um, spreads or just straight up calls and puts, what it is that you're trying to take advantage of, because then you will know how fast you should expect your profit trigger to be achieved. Because if you're taking advantage of time decay, then you're going to have to be in the position for some days. If you are trying to take advantage of a delta change, then you need a big move. So you have to have all of that in um, in your mind. Now, for your risk management, the question always comes in, well, okay, Suzanne, what happens if the price actually starts to move towards my, my spread or moves into my spread? Then you have to start thinking through your trade management. And in your during while you're holding paper money, um, you're doing these spreads in your simulated account, you will start to see that there are occasions that price will touch you. Um, if I go back to the, the first data, one of the things that I monitor is during the week, how often does price touch my support or touch my resistance, but it actually doesn't end up expiring inside my in like inside the spread. And the reason I do that is because oftentimes throughout the week, you will see that price is doing its thing and it could end up touching your short position, but then likely you get a price retracement. Um, and so as you can see in my, like with Microsoft, that there were even weeks where price was so moved so much that it actually touched my, touched my um, short call and it touched my short put. But at the point of expiration, the price actually expired between my support and my, my, my resistance. So it meant that I had a strong support and a strong resistance that I had charted that correctly because when price came up and touched me, it bounced off. And when it came down and touched me, it also bounced up. So more often than not, even when price touched the short legs, it still ended up in the center of the, uh, between the the short and um the short call and short put and so i still achieved a max profit even when i was lightly breached then the other thing you can see i 
look to see if price, even if price breached my breached one of my legs, um, the short collar, the short put, did it actually breach it significantly? Because the question is, is that if you take on a credit, let's say that it like in our Microsoft example that you took in a credit of $1.50, price would have to breach your short leg by $1.50 before you start incurring an actual realized loss. So in the Microsoft example, one time price closed on my short leg. So even though I received about, I, I don't remember exactly how much I received, but let's just say for the example that I received the $1 and um, 20 cents, like what was in our example below on Microsoft, um, I still ended up keeping part of the part of the profit. I just didn't keep all of the credit that I received. So I had to give some of it back. So it was, so I took a partial profit. I didn't take a partial loss or a max loss. And actually only two times out of the 15 would I, if I would have done nothing, if I would have just left price, like I didn't do anything to manage the positions, I would have only one time taken a max loss. So we can carry on. And Mark, if there are any questions in the chat, please let me know. So one of the things that, you know, you want when you're looking at your chart, you don't just want to be charting and then learning how your underlying works um, you, because you want to, what you're really trying to figure out is what is the institutional personality of the institutional investors investing in the underlying that you like. So how does Tesla's um, cult of followers buy and sell the stock? How does Microsoft's cult of followers buy and sell its stock? How does um, Costco, Visa, whatever it may be that you're trading, it does have a trade personality and you need to find the strategy that makes the most sense to the personality of the stock that you are trying to sell against. So again, for the market landscape, you want to just put all the, all the benefits like on your side, put all the probabilities on your side. So, you know, you need to have a system in place whatever that may be. Some people like an RSI. So they're like, okay, if it hit, if it's oversold or if, if it's oversold or if it's overbought, I will sell against the momentum move. If I'm on a on the MACD and I see a crossover, I will sell against the move. If um, some people like to use Fibonacci levels, others like to use standard deviations, whatever your system is, as long as you are more often right than wrong in the directionality, then that's what you want to look for. And that's how you want to set up your spread, just like you would the short call or the short put. So as we already said, the advantages of credit spreads over maybe just always selling a short call and a short put is that you define your risk reward. So you just you don't have that max potential loss to the upside or to the downside. And it allows you to potentially enter on stocks that are of higher value. So for example, I think that like Costco is trading, I don't know at how many, like, I think at like $500 or something like that. So you might not want to sell a naked short call or sell a naked short put because that would be, that would just tie up a whole bunch of buying power. But by actually utilizing a spread, you bring down your cost basis and you free up a lot of margin, especially if you want to stay in the position for a few days. And um, and then the other thing is that it's scalable. 
So oftentimes somebody can sell one short call or two short calls, but they can't sell 10 short calls because it is a like a you know an indefinite potential max loss and the broker wouldn't allow you to do that. Same with the short put. So this allows you to have an option of selling and the option of being able to scale up the number of contracts that you are selling. Though I think people more often than not scale up the number of contracts they're selling too quickly. And so then because they're like, oh, I won three times with one contract. So I'm going to do three contracts and then I'm going to do five contracts. But the problem is, is that if you get breached, like if there there is for some reason a max loss, just it happens um, and you weren't able to manage the manage the trade, then you feel like you wiped out all of the gains that you had the previous 5, 10, 15 times that you were actually successful. So again, you know, the risk mitigation tool is knowing if you're trading mo market momentum, then having a system in place that you know works consistently. And if you are not trading, um, if you're not trading momentum, but you are selling in order to take advantage of time decay, then you also need to know that. And you have to be able to like mark out really strong support and resistance or your, your zones or whatever it may be that you are looking for your structures, or you have to use some kind of technical bias. And again, as I said previously, you really want to avoid getting freaked out if price touches you. So you want to go back and look, you want to go back and kind of look at where support and resistance had been historically, and then know how often is price likely to touch my, my short call or my short put of whatever credit spread I, I, I selected to do. And what's the chances that it would touch me and then go back um, bounce, bounce down or bounce up off of that, that support and resistance so that you don't close trades for a loss unnecessarily. And again, it's the same thing that we already talked about, just really knowing what it is that you are trading and having that marked out for you. So that is it from my side, but I am happy to answer any, any questions that y'all might have. Yo, Suzanne, thank you so much y'all show this lady some love again y'all got this if you just tuned in or tuned in like the last like 30 minutes it's 2 a.m where she's at actually 3 a.m now so she's like full-fledged up here for y'all thank you does anyone have any questions actually there was a question um kevin crawford world um could you have suzanne review her explanation a set of setting up yeah i'm gonna go oh sorry there you go i can show it hold on we both, right. We're both clicking at the same time. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> so I don't actually know how to go back to you guys. I did it before, but it's not showing me the close function. Okay. There, I see it. Yeah. So um, you guys should definitely save this episode as well. I feel like this was definitely high level conversation on, on this stuff. This is why I want to bring you on here because it, it it's a lot. It sounds, listen, I'm, I'm just from personal experience, it sounds really complicated. It may seem like it's overhead, but the best way to really learn this is paper trade because when you visually see it and you, and you put your legs together and you see it move during the actual hours of live trading, you, you it starts clicking and once it clicks it's so easy it's just sometimes so hard to explain in my personal opinion honestly though for everyone that lives in the us e-trade has the best one because i see mark sending me yes. uh, 
the whole risk management uh, one pager. Mm -hmm. I don't think TOS has that, but each if you mm -hmm. guys can get E-Trade, paper trader, that's pretty phenomenal. Can you still see my screen? No, no uh, we don't see anything. Okay, but now I don't see you guys. Oh, there we go. Okay, um, so yeah, so basically the, the setup is that first you want to figure out what direct where you think that the price is going so do you think that price is dropping or do you think that you know is price bearish or is price bullish and then the first thing that you then what you want to do is you want to sell well in tos if you're using thinkorswim i think most of the platforms you can actually select to sell a vertical spread and mm -hmm. it will actually give you both of the legs automatically so you don't have to like sell to open one and then buy to open the other. It'll just set both of them up for you as a vertical spread. You just want to make sure that it's red and it says sell because you are selling the credit spread. If it's a buy, then you're in a different um, setup entirely. And so let's say, for instance, you are bearish, then you will want to sell to open at um, whatever your strike is. So you may use the delta to select your strike, or you might use a a upper boundary resistance to select your strike. You sell to open, um, you sell to open on the resistance and then you buy to open at the price above. So you are capping your max, your max loss between that distance. And then it's the same thing on the put side. So if you were bullish on the price, then you would sell to open a put at your support level and then you would buy to open um, the the strike below. So you would buy to open a put below that strike. Now, based on your account size, you might do a five point spread, or you might do a 10 point spread, or you might do something even wider than that, depending on, depending on what your risk tolerance is. Mm -hmm. All right. And we got um, here, Draca, our girl, Draca, she says something about, don't forget to uh, your Greek class. Are you doing a Greek class or something? Yeah. So we are doing a two-part series on mastering the Greeks, and it is for um, both um, beginner and advanced traders. So that is available on my website. You can go to courses.tradespeakeasy.com, and um, the it's a two-part series, and the next live class is on Tuesday. <laughs> so thank you, Draca. All right. Yeah, let me see if anyone else has any questions other than that. Um, definitely thank you so much for coming on. I don't know if you want to stay because I know it's super late where you're at. Mo has like one more thing to cover real quick before we tune out. Um, no, I want to hear about money flows. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we got that. I know everyone we're a little over time, but that's okay. I, I think this was definitely worth it. I hope hopefully y'all really enjoy this information. It's a lot of information to take in. That's why I say make sure you save this or download this episode on YouTube. And again, make sure you, you give it like a thumbs up or something. All right. Subscribe. Um, so I don't see any other questions. So Suzanne, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, hang out here with us because Mo's got one more thing to cover and then we're done for the night. So Mo, you ready? Yeah. All right, let me pull it up or you got it. There All right, go. well, we're going to cover um, something key in the next, I'd say, seven to 10 minutes. Pay attention. So take this, take a screenshot, save it, however you want to do it. So I'm going to quickly go over. This is this is very key, and I don't think most people have seen this before. So every third Friday of the month is OPEX, right? You can look at chat GPT. You can Google this stuff. 
And basically what happens is every month these options expire and they roll into next month. So if you ever want to pick the most liquid option, it's the third week of the month, right? Always the case, always the case. Okay. So this Friday we have these options expiring. So this is currently an OPEX week. This is exactly why we're chopping so much. Anytime you have an OPEX week, you want to size small and you want to avoid zero days. What I've been seeing is a lot of people have been going heavy on OPEX. Suzanne talked about something called a gamma. Anywhere we have high gamma levels, so, level, so right now 4150 is a very big gamma level. So you will see that we keep going to 4150. The next below is 4125 and the next below that is 4100. Today we finally broke 4125. So that means if 4115 breaks, 4100 will be a big gamma level. I believe there's $145 billion sitting on that level, meaning that's how many sellers you need over that to break that level. Now, Let's go back to this chart. What this chart or this picture is saying is week one and week two will always be the strongest in the month. And the reason for that, there's a couple of reasons for that. There's Vena and Charm flow, which are the strongest. So let me just do a quick definition of what Vena is and what Charm is. They're part of the Greeks. We don't talk about Vena, Charm, or Gamma. So Vena measures delta change for a given change in implied volatility. So it's the change in implied volatility. Charm measures the delta change for a given change in time. They can be positive, they can be negative. Right now in week one, week two, they're positive, meaning they are supporting the buyers. So that's one reason why we were staying afloat. Reason number two for week one, week two positive is we have something called PPT, Plunge Protection Team. This is a team that actually buys to make sure the market doesn't... Um, go too volatile. They're also selling volume every single day, which is why when the market is flat, at the end of the day, we start seeing going up because the puts are expiring off the money. Because at this point, we have the highest amount of puts in place in weeklies, monthlies, and quarterly. So because of that, we go up. Third is something called CTA buy level, which I've covered every single week. 50, 100, 200 moving average. Anytime we're above that, CT is by momentum trend, they'll start buying. So anytime there's a choppy balanced market, you're always gonna see go up. So that's why they say don't short a dull market. What happens after week two into OPEX, which is week three, right in the middle, which is Wednesday, which is what I was been saying. And on Wednesday, the structure changes. So what happens is Wednesday, the Vena and Charm, they were gone. So yesterday we actually gabbed down and today we were green all the time, uh, green all the way till um, we started selling at the end. I actually had puts right at the top and I think I sold it for 300% and they actually went up to about 1200%. And it's because you can't time when this happens. So you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself because these are zero days. Now going in, Next week and the rest of the, so we have Friday and then another, what, uh, another seven days left for them the month. So you have something where there's no uh, Vena and Charm, puts are starting to add, which I'm going to go next. And then you've got monthly rebalancing. Basically, funds are going to rebalance. So one of the things that you want to look at is people were taking money out of regional banks and throwing into crypto and tech. Now what's happening is regional banks are bouncing back. So you are noticing crypto going down, which is also one of the reasons why tech is going down. So that's something that you want to keep an eye on. Apart from that, save this because this will be useful every single month to you. So remember, Wednesday, every month, OPEX week, you're going to see a big shift in the structure. All right. So let me close this and let me see if I can...
unshare this and then share back. Hold on one second. That's good info, Mo. No problem. You're you're dead on with that a lot of times. I like to wait. That's even most of the times that's when I buy my shares too is during the OPEX week is when uh when there's a sell-off. Okay. So we're gonna talk about flow. And this is where I'm going to teach you what you need want to look at, what, what you want to avoid. So when you're looking at uh, flow, and let's say you're subscribed to different flow services, you want to very simply. So if you're looking at puts, go puts, go look at above ask. When you're looking at above ask, it tells you someone's desperate enough to pay over ask because they want to be in. They are showing you urgency and they're going to move the market. That's one. Second is you want to look at sweeps. You don't want to look at block. You want to look at sweeps. The reason why you don't want to look at blocks is blocks are often tied with underlying stocks. So we don't know the overall game. Like Suzanne talked about different legs and butterflies. A lot of funds don't do directional bets and I've talked about it. So we're looking for directional bets because we're playing zero days or weeklies. So look at coin. They added for 58 and 61, 223K and 45. I already told you that the regional money is moving. Uh, so sorry. Regional money is moving back into from crypto. So there's a high chance we sell Bitcoin on the weekend, which is why they're buying coin puts. So you got to add a whole picture. You can't just be like, okay, puts are coming. This could be a hedge. So you have to look at what's happening. Because the regional banks are going up, you want to look at this and see okay, what's going on. So this was a big flow. So these are 58 puts for next week. They're about $2. Um I added a couple, but I have longer ones. But this is what you want to look at. If we give up $60 tomorrow for a coin, this thing can go down pretty fast. You guys know how coin goes 8 to 10% um, on any given day when it gets flow. So look at this one. The second one that's scarier is this one here. QQQ puts for May 19th. We got a sweep and we got a block. So we are going to focus on the first two. 7.59 million for 519 and 7.17, which is both above ask. So that tells you that they're saying we're going to pay over a market because we want to get in, right? So these are for 297. That's the strike price. It's for May 19th. In my opinion, the structure changed yesterday. Now we're looking to test 4,000 by next Friday. Can go if 4,000 breaks, which will be the most key level, 3990 to 4,000. That's the level you want to watch. If that breaks, we're going back to 3,800. The conversation that you want to pay attention to is the debt ceiling one. That's what can bring the market down. If there's no news, it's good news. It's that simple. Don't think two years in advance, which is what scares me when people tell me they're getting into leaps. Maybe you made money on NVIDIA buying at 70. Here, just be careful. First, bulls lost money, then bears lost money. Now we're in a consolidation phase. You got to look level to level. Like personally, I'm actually getting certified to do futures trading because the theta most of the time on zero days has been outrageous. Now they're doing zero days for VIX. So you can see like the full on gambling that they're promoting with. And I think just to give you guys an average, 53% of the volume that comes on SPX every single day is now from zero days. Hey, Mo, there's a question for you in there. I think is asking about this. Um, how much does this was a trade traded? I don't know. Trading picks? Yeah, how much does that cost per month? I I have the the business version. I pay like I think two fifty or something. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you the free ones. Okay, um, if you are small account, 
there's so much free resource on Twitter. So one of the easiest way to do, uh, Malik, is go and just look for the ticker. So go and go dollar sign and type in Tesla. And most people are posting that stuff. Um, I, if you're small accounts, you don't really have to pay, in my opinion. Um, use that money to grow your account. A lot of people, a lot of companies post free stuff online on Twitter. I just take advantage of that. Um, I can't think of anything on top of my mind. If you just DM me later on, I'll send you a couple of names. It's kind of like this. You just type, you type in a money sign coin, for example, and then you just kind of scroll down and eventually find something, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know, small accounts, like if you're like playing with 500 grand, um, I would use that money to um, just grow your account. Just send me a DM. I'll send you a list. I have a PDF document. Awesome. Uh, we got anything else, Mo? No, we're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's it. I, I have no plays that I'm eyeing right now, except and I think in your room, I just mentioned I'm eyeing forward right now for a potential cover call. Um, it's been selling off quite a bit. So I'm just kind of waiting for a specific price level before I end up getting into a cover call. I am out of my, um, what did I have last? Oh, my Schwab. I don't know if I talk about this here on this channel or not, but I played that. That one worked out perfectly. I loved it. Um, and then I think I'm currently still in the XOP iron, iron condor. Same one that I talked about last time. Um, it's been fluctuating anywhere between 30 to 40%. I still have like 20 some days left on it, but it's, uh, oil has been taking a little bit of a hit. So I'm just kind of keeping an eye on it. I may exit out early. So it just depends. Um, did he just say 500 grand? Or 500 wow. Oh, he's asking about how much. Okay. I think there was a confusion on what you said. The person is wondering like, what is a small account? I'm assuming. Small account is not 500 grand. $500,000. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. All right. So um, what he said, what if you don't have uh, Twitter? Um, like you said, go ahead, DM. Twitter account. No, open a Twitter account just for trading. I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite resources. I just always have Twitter open. There's a lot of smart people. There's funds out there. They do free spaces. So yeah, open a Twitter account just to uh, for trading purposes. Yeah, but don't follow everyone's trade. Just be careful, okay? He's talking about just like resources for information news. Yeah. Even on earnings, sometimes if you notice on Twitter, um, like sometimes the earnings actually come out on Twitter before it comes out on some of these websites that people pay for. So it's, it's pretty good um yeah other than that like that is that it mo yeah that's it yeah that's it i think we had a successful episode suzanne tell people how they can find you yeah so you guys can find me on um, instagram at trade speakeasy and oh but as mark mentioned before i also have a children's book well the first book of a book series called the candlestick journey and you can also um you can also find that's also on twitter as at candlestick journey and the website is candlestickjourney.com. And then my website, blog, and access, like it directs you to all the different courses, is also tradespeakeasy.com. So you guys can find me there. Yeah, I threw it up here so y'all can see. Definitely check out a children's book. Um, and I have gone through uh, Suzanne's courses. I checked it out. I did vouch for it. It was like one of my last... Um, videos where i reviewed trading groups so definitely check her out and if you're interested and want to get some more information on it, you can go on my channel as well you also have a youtube channel right suzanne yes i do okay. and also and we have a free telegram group so if you do sign up for the newsletter then you will get the the link to our to our telegram group and we do talk about trading and we talk often about macroeconomics so a lot of the things that um, Mo was already talking about, you know, the different Greeks or um, volatility and what's going on in the global markets. 
we talk a lot about that in the Telegram group. So yeah, and support the the children's book. Um, I bought the Doji Rumble. I haven't bought the water that flies yet. Um, but check it out. I was I was hoping to have it here to show y'all because I do actually have it. My kids just have it somewhere. I don't know. The, the room is messy. So, but um, yeah, Suzanne, thank you so much. Hopefully, we'll see you again on here. Yeah. Really, really appreciate your time and the fact that you literally stayed up this late to do this for us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. This was, this was great. And everyone until two weeks from now, I keep wanting to say until next week. So we do our shows on bi-weekly Thursday, 8 PM. Um, sometimes we're live, sometimes we're not. It just depends what we're going on. We're going to try to be live almost every single time, but there will be times where we would not be able to be live and we have a pre-recorded show, but please just still tune in. We really appreciate every single one of you. We love y'all. Smash that like button, subscribe, share, follow Suzanne at Trace Speak Easy, follow Mo at OTP Clubhouse, and follow me on my YouTube channel called Uncultured Currency, and you may like me or hate me. We'll find out. Until next time, y'all. Peace out, and thank you for tuning in. We see you in two weeks. That's 100.